We've been going through a series on perseverance. The scriptures call Christians to persevere in their faith. And there'll be all sorts of challenges that we'll face. Challenges either uh, related to your faith directly and opposition because you believe in Jesus. And then also challenges regarding just day-to-day life. Things not going right, relational fractures, financial pressures, health health challenges, and so on. And the Christian has been called to persevere. Now, last week, Jeff preached a phenomenal sermon. If you didn't watch it, if you didn't listen to it, if you want to hear, go to our website, northview.org, and watch his sermon last week. Phenomenal sermon where he's talking about running the race, saying many times when we, were, when we are running our race, the temptation to look at our neighbor's race, to look at someone else's life and begin to envy that life is huge. Particularly when your race, your life is filled with so many obstacles and theirs seems easy. And so sometimes we would rather live their lives or run their race rather than ours. And Jeff was calling us using the scriptures, hey, run your race, run your race, keep your eye on your race, not on the other person's race. So maybe you heard that sermon last week. So you go back home and you tell yourself, self, let me run my race. Let me live my life. And so you continue pursuing God, following Jesus while running your own race. But the problems are still there. The financial pressure is still there. The infertility is still there. Relational breakdown is still there. All these problems are still there. So how do you continue running this race while the problems are still there in your face? And in many cases, for many of us, hope begins to fade. And as hope begins to fade, discouragement sets in. And it's difficult to keep running this race. I would say this. One of our biggest enemies in our lives is forgetfulness. Forgetting the promises of God while we are in the race. And sometimes the challenges or the struggles are so heavy. They are so weighty. Some of them are life and death issues. And while we're in it, the mind has a way of forgetting the promises of God. And yet the scriptures on so many occasions keep pushing us, bring to mind, call to mind the promises of God, who God is and what he has done. Call to mind. And this is what we often do at our community groups or we should be doing in our community groups or in our friendship gatherings where we are bearing each other's burdens and reminding each other of the faithfulness of God in the midst of the challenge. Why? We've been called to persevere. So how do you do it? How do you persevere in a godly way? And one of the ways is to call to mind the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We will call to mind, we'll look at the words of Jesus, and as we look at his words, we will call to mind two things. First, We will remind ourselves that we belong to him. We belong to him. And secondly, we will call to mind, we will remind ourselves that because we belong to him, we benefit from him. 
There's significant benefit that comes because we belong to Christ. So the passage again, John chapter 10, verse 22 to 30. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screens. Let's read together. Then, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. That's a good question, right? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe. Why? Because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. There ends the reading of the word of God. This is a very interesting text here. And particularly the words of Jesus where he's declaring who his sheep are. And I'm hoping by the end of this sermon, you will be strangely warm, like your heart will feel encouraged knowing that you actually belong to Jesus and there are benefits that can be found in him. So we belong to him, how? Let's begin by giving you a little bit of a background of what's happening here. So what, what on earth is this festival of dedication? What, it, what is it, you may be asking? Well, about 165 years before Jesus was born, 165 years before Jesus was born, there was this Greek, uh, the, a Greek general, a military general with his army. He rolled into Jerusalem and he captured the city. The name of general, Antiochus Epiphanes. So he comes with his army, takes over Jerusalem. And because he's Greek, and obviously in Jerusalem you have the people of God who are there, the Jews who are there. So Antiochus brings his Greek culture into Jerusalem. So what does he do? He goes to the temple. And at the temple, he brings bacon. Now, if my daughter was there, she'd be like, sweet, bacon. But you see, Jews don't do pork. They don't. But Antiochus Epiphanes brings pork, and he begins to feed it to the priests, which was an abomination. Why? Because pork was unclean to the Jews. You don't do pork. So he begins to feed the priests Pork, and not only that, some of the inner chambers of the temple, he converted them into brothels. Why? Because that's how the Greeks worshipped their gods. In orgies and stuff like this. So now he wants to worship his Greek gods in the Jewish temple and inviting the Jews to engage in the worship of other gods. And he went as far as bringing his animals and sacrificing, making sacrifices to Zeus and other gods, other Greek gods on the altar in the temple. Obviously, there were many God-fearing Jews who were not too thrilled by this. And so one uh, Judas Maccabees decides to um, like evoke an uprising and then they 
gathered together an army of Jews, albeit with their sticks and stones and so on, and they come against Antiochus Epiphanes and his army, and they are able, by God's grace, to defeat them. So in other words, for the Jews now, God fought for us and liberated us from the Greek, um, Greek rule. And so Judas, um, uh, Judas uh, Maccabees decides to go now to the temple, which was desecrated, and he begins to cleanse it, and then they rededicate it. It was desecrated. False, um, false uh, offerings offered on the altar. We need to cleanse this thing. So they cleansed it, and then they rededicated it around December. And every year since, so this is 164 BC and after, every year since, the Jews began to celebrate the festival of lights or the festival of dedication in Jerusalem. So people would take candles and put them on their windows. So it was, the city was lit up at night with all these candles as they were remembering that the temple was being dedicated. But as they remembered as they remembered, they would be reading passages of scripture that will be talking about shepherds. And they will be asking during this week's long celebration, where were the leaders of our nation that allowed Epiphanies to come and take us over? Where were the shepherds? Oh, they were busy eating pork. What should God's shepherds be doing? So as they're asking these questions, where the shepherds, what would God's people be doing every year when they're celebrating, it was around this time in the winter when Jesus stands up in the temple and says, I am the good shepherd. See the connection now? I am the good shepherd right then in that week. I am the good shepherd. So this is John 10, 16, a few verses up from our text today. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. So there they are, the Jews gathered, and so now we come to our text where John now mentions, yes, the festival is going on. People are busy remembering what had happened. These Jews come to Jesus and say, how long will you keep us in suspense then? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, this question is not being asked by people who want to follow Jesus. Uh -uh. The idea is not to follow Jesus. Remember, what are they doing They're remembering the liberation of Jerusalem and the fact that God is the one who redeemed them. And so now they're being on guard against anything that would would attack, invade Judaism. So now here comes Jesus. He's doing all these things. He's now a threat to our religious system. So they're asking him, hey, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. So they are waiting for Jesus to say, yes, I am the Messiah, of which they would drag him out of the temple and stone him to death. But Jesus knows their intention. So Jesus says, hey, I did tell you, but you don't believe. I've done all these mighty works, but you still don't believe. Why don't you believe? Yeah, you're not my sheep. You don't belong to me. You're not my sheep. Then Jesus then will jump in. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who's greater than all. My father who gave them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of his hands. And by the way, I and the father 
are one. In other words, I am divine, just the, just the same way the Father is divine. Huge statement. So the question then is, how does this text tell us today, men and women who are going through all sorts of challenges in our lives, whatever the challenge may be, it could be a loved one who's ailing, or it could be job loss, or it could be financial pressure, or relational struggle, whatever your challenge is, how does this passage encourage us? Well, you belong to him. How do we know this? Notice verse 27. My sheep, those who are mine, Jesus is saying, they listen to my voice. My sheep listen to my voice. So it's interesting that Jesus would use this um, image of shepherd. In the ancient times, in the ancient times, a shepherd would take out their sheep, and as the shepherds are walking or grazing their flock, they'd be singing. So I'd like you to imagine this, okay? So Ezra and Jeff are shepherds, and they have their sheep. So now, what shepherds would do, what Ezra and Jeff would do would be this. Ezra would have his flute, and he'd be playing music for his sheep certain tunes that his sheep would become familiar with. And a shepherd would walk with a rod and a staff, and they'd be tapping on rocks and dragging their feet on the road so that the, sh the sheep would recognize, they would hear the sound of the shepherd. Why? Because the sheep don't have good eyesight. Their eyesight is not great. So they'll be listening to the shepherd. Oh, he's there, so I guess we gotta go there. He's there, so we gotta go there. So Ezra is playing his flute, and Jeff, also being a shepherd, he'd be singing. Now that's funny, Jeff singing. <laughs> so he'd be singing to his sheep, and they would recognize his voice as well. And so now Ezra and Jeff meet at the watering hole. Our animals now mix, and they're all drinking from the watering hole, right? They're quenching their thirst. It's time to leave. So what does Ezra and Jeff do? Our animals have mixed. Now Ezra will look there and say, yes, my sheep were more fat than yours, Jeff. Yours are scrawny looking. So every good healthy is mine. No, they don't do that. Even though Ezra's sheep are better than Jeff's. <laughs> they don't do that. What do they do? What the shepherd would do when it's time to go, Ezra will grab his flute and he'll begin to play. And as Ezra is playing, his sheep would begin to follow. And Jeff would begin to walk away and he will sing. And his sheep, in other words, there will be a separation between the animals. Why? The sheep listen to the voice. You see, when you came to Christ, you were probably in a room like this, maybe, and the preacher was preaching the gospel of Jesus. And there were many people there who are probably not Christian. Maybe you came there with your non-Christian aunt, uncle, and you yourself weren't a Christian either. The gospel was proclaimed, and then after the gospel was proclaimed, an invitation was made, and you said yes. And maybe your non-Christian aunt said no. You were his sheep. You heard the Savior say, Jeff! Vic, John, Ezra, Joanne, the Lord called you. Melissa, the Lord called you. The Lord called you. My sheep 
Listen to my voice. Oh, dear Christian, how often we forget. Well, while we are in it, struggling, running our race, and things are difficult, and speed bumps are there, how often we forget that our Savior called us. The Savior called you by name. And not only did he call you, what else did the Savior, what, what else happened? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. So there was a preacher a number of years ago, um, many years ago. This preacher, it's a true story. So he had a tent meeting and so he's there, uh, had a crusade. So evangelism crusade, invite your neighbors, invite your non-Christian people to this tent meeting. And the meetings were Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday through to Friday. So the preacher comes, the music happens. On Monday, this young man walks in, sits at the back because he'd been invited by a family member. You need to hear this man. So this this uh, young adult sits at the back and is listening and is like, okay, yeah, 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 great, the music is done. The preacher stands up, he begins to preach and the young adult's heart begins to get convicted and he realizes, I need Jesus, I need Jesus. So the meeting is done and the young man beelines down for the, for the preacher and goes and says, preacher man, I need Jesus, tell me, how do I get a relationship, enter into a relationship with Jesus? Preacher says, dude, do this. Go home, come back tomorrow. Okay. So the young man goes, comes back next day, Tuesday. Sits right at the front. Preacher preaches. All the message is better than last night. And the young man realizes, I need Jesus. Meeting is done. People are coming forward uh, um, uh, to, to respond for prayer or for salvation. Young man comes. Preacher man, I'm back. Okay, tell me today. How do I become a Christian? Preacher looks at him says, young man, do this. Go home, come back tomorrow. So the young man is a little confused. Okay, I, okay fine. I'll come back tomorrow. So tomorrow again... Sits right at the front, preacher, preaches a message, it's Wednesday. Oh, that message is better than Monday, Tuesdays. This is great, I want Jesus. End of meeting, young man comes up, preacher, I want to know Jesus. Uh, come back tomorrow. Thursday, come back tomorrow. Friday, the young man comes to the preacher and says, preacher, there is no more tomorrow. Please, 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 I'm begging you, tell me, how do I become a Christian? And the preacher said, you become a Christian when you keep following, when you keep coming. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Regardless of what's happening, keep coming. Oh, dear Christian, in your race, as you persevere through whatever struggles you're going through, you know you belong to him when you keep coming. And for many of you, you're probably in it, so you're neck deep in it, and you're trying to look over the waves and you can't even see land. But you're here today. And sometimes it feels for you that all hope is gone. You're here today. You don't have the answers that will remove you from the struggle you're going through. You're here today. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow. 
me. And sometimes the Lord, as you're following him, he will send you like sheep among wolves. As he says in Matthew 10, I send you as sheep among wolves. But even as you go through the difficulties that the Lord will send you through, you want to remember Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me to paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How does the rod and the staff comfort? Oh, the sheep is hearing the shepherd doing this. Right? The sheep hears. The shepherd is still near. He's still near. He's still near. My sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. Oh, dear Christian, you belong to him because you heard his voice and you follow. Not only that, because we belong to him, we benefit. How, so how do we benefit? How do we benefit from him in three ways? Now, there are multiple ways. I'll only give you three from this text. So first, we are known by God. We are known by God. And I find this in verse 27. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them. I know them. So let me give you an example. One of the things that we love to do is networking, right? We network with people. So in church, you meet people. Hey, how are you doing? What do you do? Oh, I'm a mechanic. Great. Now, file. Joe is mechanic. Good. And you talk to, hey, what's your name? My name is Suzanne. Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a nurse. File. Suzanne, nurse. And hey, you know, let me meet Melissa. What do you do? Oh, hey, I accountant. Hmm, taxes time. Hmm, accountant, Melissa. You know, so, so I already know people. I'm already networking. So when I need help, I can always say, I know a guy. I know a guy. When you hear someone in your, in your uh, community group, they're having trouble with their transmission. You would say, hey, I know a guy. Joe is a mechanic. I know a guy. We know people. But what's better is when those people in power, those people in authority, when they know you, that's even better for you. Why? If they're in authority and they know you, that means you're secure. That means if they hear that you have an issue, they have the authority to make things go well for you. Right? But is that the kind of knowledge that Jesus is talking about here? No. The kind of knowledge that Jesus is talking about here is more of an intimate knowledge. So I'll give you an example. Those who are parents here, you'll know what I mean. So imagine you're in your kitchen and you're making food and your little daughter, little son has been playing in the basement, whatever, and then they run upstairs and you're busy making dinner or making lunch and you turn your head and you look at your child straight in the face. Any parent, before the child says boo, they know what that child wants. They know what the child wants. 
When I look at my daughter's face, I know she's wanting ice cream. When I look at my son's eye, he wants chocolate. It's not dinner yet. He wants chocolate. I know. Why? Because they're my child. If they're in the school park playing on a field with all those kids, as a parent, I'll come and stand. All the other parents are there, and we're all looking at the kids playing, but every single parent has their eye on their son or daughter on the field. And any good parent will look at the child and know whether the child is having a good time, a bad time, whether they're bored out out of their mind. They will know. Why? Because there is an intimate knowledge between you and your child. This is the knowledge that God has about you. And if I know my child that well, this means that I, being a good parent, will make sure that I will provide every resource that is good for this child and I will take away what's not good for this child. So for breakfast, I'm not giving my child Coke Zero for breakfast. Like Jeff likes Coke Zero for breakfast. I'm not even kidding. (laughs) I'm not giving my child Red Bull at any point because she will say, Daddy, I want Red Bull. It'll give me wings. (laughs) We're not going to have Red Bull, honey. No. Because I know my child. I know them well enough to give them what they need and to take away what they don't need. And they will think that I'm really bad. I'm not giving them Coke Zero. No aspartame for you, honey. (laughs) But what is interesting, also in this little passage, verse 29, my father who has given them to me. Jesus speaking, saying, my father is the one who has given. The father is the one who gave you to him. How did the father do this? Jesus will say in John chapter 6, verse 44, no one, comes to the, uh, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. No one comes to the Father, no one comes to, to the Son unless the Father draws him. How does the Father draw you? There are so many people who keep resisting the call of God, right? They resist the call of God, they resist the call of God, they resist the call of God, and sometimes we think, We think that, oh, that person has resisted the call of God. Well, God will just walk away and say, oh, man, geez, they just resisted my call. No, 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 no. That's not what the scriptures teach. The Father will overcome your resistance. You will not outrun God when he has his eyes set on you. It's like a child who becomes unruly and is resisting the parent. A good parent will know how to overcome the child's resistance, right? How much more the father? How much more the father? So you were busy running from God and God began to pursue you. He loved you when you did not love him. He pursued you while you were busy hiding from him. And he broke your defenses. And you came to saving faith. Why? He knew you. Before the foundations of the world. He knew you. And with that knowledge comes significant benefits. Like you receive eternal life. Verse 28. 
I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. That's benefit number two. You receive eternal life and you will never perish. So, you've probably watched a commercial on TV by Scotiabank, you know? You're richer than you think, Scotiabank. (laughs) Right? Why does Scotiabank have this commercial on TV? Why? Because they know that you're probably a little anxious about what your retirement will look like. And maybe you're struggling to figure out how to put your money together. So Scotiabank will come and they'll tell you, hey, if you sit down with one of us, one of our financial advisors, we will help you coordinate your money. Doesn't matter how deeply in debt you are, we'll help you sort your financing, we'll help you save some so that in the next 15, 20, 30 years, you're going to be great. You're richer than you think. Tell us, comes around and say the future is friendly now. Right? Why? We love, we, we love to know, we want to know that the future is secure. We want to know that it will all end well. So, for example, you'll go to the movies. When you go to the movies, what happens? You'll watch this show, and what will make that movie really great is if the beginning, yeah, the beginning was intense and then it just went downhill. It's a roller coaster. And those difficulty and challenge and struggle and strife and it goes on and on and then it comes to an end where now finally there is great victory. The villains have been defeated and now it is sunshine and he's met the girl and they get married and they live happily ever after. And it's great. We leave the theater. We go to Starbucks. We buy coffee and we just think, oh, the world is so nice. The movie ended well. We love this story when there is the sunset end, when it is they lived happily ever after, right? That's your story, dear Christian. Your life right now? Yeah, you're in the middle of the movie. It ain't over yet. It might go even further down, maybe. But the end is glorious. The end is glorious. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, meaning your sins will never be counted against you. Your sins past, your sins present, your sin future will never be counted against you. Why? Because Christ paid for it on the cross. That's why today we are calling to mind the things that Christ did on the cross we are having communion. Why are we doing that? We are calling to mind that your sins and mine, past, present, future, paid on the cross. Amen to that, right? Right. So, how different would you live your life if you knew that your great uncle Jeff Bucknam was leaving you a million dollars? How would you live your life? How differently would you live your life if you knew that Jeff, your uncle, will leave you a million bucks by Easter? Guaranteed. The check written, money transferred, it will be released to your account Easter weekend. How would you live your life? Question. Jesus, your Lord, the one who called you, the one who knows you, says this. I'll give you eternal life 
and you will never perish. That's guaranteed. Take that to the bank so then be a Christian. How do you run your race now? You might be right in the middle of the ocean and the waves are high. You can't see the land, but you know, you know this movie ends well. It ends well. It is difficult in the moment, but it ends well. It ends well. He will give you eternal life and you'll never perish. Benefit number three. There is this guaranteed security. You will notice, he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of the father's hand. I love going to, uh, to Williams Lake in the summer, not right now when it's minus 30. Uh, you will not see me there, thank you very much. But in the summer, I, I would go there, or the spring, I would go there and visit some of my friends, um, family who lived around here. They attended Northview. And then they felt that they needed to buy property. The Lord was calling them to move up to the interior. So they moved to Williams Lake, have a beautiful property. So my first time we got there, um, this guy decided, hey, let me take you to the woods. He's a hunter. He has his guns and his quad bikes and everything. So I'm like, sweet, let's go. So we go, and then we get to the woods. It's quiet. We get down, and I ask him, okay, dude, are there cougars here? Mm. Uh, there are some wolves here, mm, a few. If you go further north, Prince George and Pass, yeah, a lot more wolves there, okay. Are there coyotes here? Yeah. Bears? Mm-hmm. And then he started saying, Ezra, look here, son. Uh... We will walk in the woods, so you just want to, like, just be alert, be aware of your surrounding. We might, you might see a bear, we might see a bear. And uh, sometimes these bears might have their cubs. So if you see a bear, you just want to kind of stay away, just back away and just go clear the area. But Ezra, please, please, do not ever be in between a mama bear and the cub. Never be in that situation where mama bear is there and the cubs are here and you're right in the middle because that's the day you'll realize bears like dark meat. <laughs> it's not going to go well. This story is not going to end well for you, Ezra. That bear will protect will care, will safeguard, will keep the cub at all costs. Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them from his hand. So think about God the Father himself first. Let's just not talk about Jesus for a moment. God the Father himself. Who is this God the Father? Creator of heaven and earth. Sustainer. So he's the one who keeps the sun hot. He's the one who keeps the grass green. He created it and continues to sustain it. Keeps it green. He's the one who keeps oxygen in the air. Maintains the balance of gases in the atmosphere. This God, think of all the birds of the air in the world. How many birds are there? How many birds are there in the world today? Billions, right? He feeds every single one of them every single day. This God, 
And it's not just the birds. All the rodents in the forests, he feeds them too. And all the caterpillars, he feeds them too. And all the ants, he feeds them too. This God has you right there. Oh dear Christian, while you're in your race, this God who called you will protect you way more than mama bear will protect her cubs. No one will snatch them out of his hand. No one will take away the guaranteed deposit that he's putting on your account, which is eternal life and a glorious end to this race. Oh, dear Christian. See, that will make you run your race differently when you know that the future is friendly, that you're secure in Christ. That makes you run differently. It makes you run differently. It helps you persevere because you know the Lord is with you. As we run this race that God has placed us in, as you run your race, as I run mine, abandon the temptation of looking at someone else's race and run your race. And even as you look above the waves and you can't see land, just know that the Lord called you. The one who called you, the one who sustains you, the one who loves you, who knows you, gives you eternal life and he will protect you. You will not die while you're in the midst of it. And your story will have a brilliant end. You belong to him. Because you belong to him, oh dear sister, dear brother, there are benefits guaranteed. Run well, run to win, run to win. Let's pray. Father, it is easy to say some of these things up from the stage here, but it's quite another to be in the midst of difficulties and struggles. And Lord, I know there are probably some in this room here today who are just in the midst of a fierce battle, relationally, health, financial, whatever, Father. You know the battle. So Lord, I pray, while we are in it, while we are striving to persevere, help us to call to mind, help us to call to mind the fact that we belong to you, the fact that you are our shepherd, that we will not be in want. That even as we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, that we ought not fear any evil because you're there with us. Help us to realize that we belong to you. And since we belong to you, Father, there are tremendous benefits, promises that we can cling to, promises that we can claim as ours, Father. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to believe these things. For the glory of your name, and for our joy, our own joy, the joy of your people, would these things be true in our lives? Pray all these things in the name of your wonderful son, Jesus. And God's people said, amen.